Good morning. It's a delight to be back with you again. Uh, my wife, Hillary, and I were so blessed by the warm welcome we received from you last time we were here, and it's good to be back with you again. And I bring you greetings once again from the people of God at First Scots PCA down in Beaufort. And we do pray for you as you go through this process of pastor search. Um, and we will continue to do that. Now I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the church at Rome. On the, my previous visit with you, uh, I preached from Romans chapter 12, and I'm just going to pick up where we left off last time. So our text will just be three verses, the concluding verses of chapter 12. So we'll be looking at Romans 12, verses 19 through 21. Brothers and sisters, listen to this, because this is the very word of God. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the reading of God's word. Let's ask him now to illumine the pages of his word for us and to bless the ministry of the word. Father in heaven, as we come to the scriptures now, we pray that even as they are read and as they are proclaimed, that uh, the one who embodies them, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be exalted in our midst. We pray for the ministry and the help of your Holy Spirit now, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this sermon, Stay in Your Lane, and maybe you've heard that expression before. I'm not even sure where it comes from originally. I just know that I first heard it uh, in the military, um, and I think the, the idea of a lane probably comes from when you're on the firing range and you watch your lane and you shoot at the target that's in your lane, not somebody else's, or in other training situations, they set up a training area in lanes so that multiple people can... Um, try to do the same task at the same time, but you have lanes in which you do it. You're not supposed to stray out of your lane. But figuratively speaking, it has come to mean uh, mind your own business. Um, and so obviously there are times when it's appropriate for us to reach out and help someone in need, give a hand to someone who needs a hand. But then there's also times when it's, it's inappropriate and we just need to mind our own business and let other people mind theirs, right? And so we say, stay in your lane. And it's like, um, think about um, a police officer and a mail carrier. They're both employed by the government, and they both are public servants. But you'd think it was very odd, wouldn't you, if uh, you were having to be looking out the front window of your house and the mailbox flag was up, and a police officer happens to be going by, and he stops and takes the mail out of your mailbox. Wouldn't that be strange? 
Or vice versa, you know, if um, you see the uh, postal carrier driving along and someone is parked illegally and the, and the mail carrier stops and puts a ticket on the person's car, that's not what they do. That's not their lane, right? Uh, and now, again, when I was with you last time, we looked at the verses that precede this text. And remember verse 17, where it says, Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Well, verse 19 that we're looking at this morning kind of amplifies on that theme of not returning evil for evil. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. These verses that we're looking at this morning show us God's lane, the lane we're supposed to stay out of. And it shows us our lane. Reminds us what God's responsibility and what's ours. And teaches us to stay in our lane. What it teaches us is that followers of Christ, I don't know if you noticed this, and, and the, uh, some of the liturgy that we read together uh, just a little bit ago emphasized these same points. Followers of, a, of Christ must exhibit fruit of the Spirit even toward their enemies. Followers of Christ must exhibit fruit of the Spirit toward their enemies. And we've got three verses, and they kind of fall out into three points pretty pretty neatly. Uh, first of all, revenge is forbidden. Secondly, the other side of that coin is kindness is commanded. And then finally, good overcomes evil. So let's look at those together. First of all, vengeance or revenge is forbidden. Now, depending on which version of, which English version of the Bible you're looking at, you may have the word never in verse 19. I read from the ESV, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Well, the word never doesn't actually appear in the Greek text. It's supplied. Uh, it might, we might even say it's implied by the grammar and by the, uh, the context, but it doesn't, it's not in the Greek. Um, the word beloved is in the text, and I think that's important. But it says, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Because it, it demonstrates the, the tenderness with which this command is coming. This is a mandate. This is a command of Scripture, but it's given to those who are dearly beloved. It's a command given in loving sincerity. And here's the command. Do not avenge yourselves. Don't take your own revenge. Now, we're fallen people. And as fallen people, we understand other fallen people. And we know that it's natural for us to want to get revenge. It's natural for us to want to get back at somebody who's done something bad to us. Revenge, because it's so inherent and so natural to a fallen human being. That's why it's such a popular literary theme. Think of all the different novels you may have read or the different movies you may have seen or shows or whatever that feature the theme of revenge and somebody, some character, maybe the main character, is out for justice because he or she has been wronged and they're going to make it right on their own by taking revenge. The problem is revenge is just one of many forms of carnal self-gratification. 
Scripture plainly prohibits personal revenge. And I mentioned this last time. I don't fault you at all if you don't remember this, but I mentioned the, the idea of revenge or seeking vengeance, and I said that it's anti-Christ, and I say it again. Revenge is anti-Christ because it's exactly the opposite of the example that Christ set for us. First Peter chapter 2, verse 23, speaking of Christ, the apostle says, When he, Christ, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That was the example Christ set, and it was an example that we are to emulate. Christ's example in this is what we are to follow. Hebrews 12.3, consider him. And when you see that expression in your Bible, consider him. It's calling us to really think and to contemplate. And it says, consider the example. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, when you're burdened, when you're feeling the effects of someone who has wronged you, and it's difficult not to retaliate, consider him. Consider what he endured, and let his spirit strengthen you. Revenge is God's lane. Stay out of it. Revenge is God's exclusive property. That's the way he puts it, isn't it? He says, revenge is mine. And God's allowed to do that. When we hear other people, especially little kids, say, mine, uh, we see that as selfish. You know, they won't share their toys. Or, you know, they, uh, but they're, they're not being gracious. They're not uh, being generous. But when God, with it fully within his rights as our creator and as the Lord of the universe, says, mine, we ought to heed. And he says, vengeance is mine. There are things that are God's, that are his attributes, uh, that he calls upon us to share with him, that he allows us and even commands us to share with him. For instance, holiness. So he says, you be holy. Why? Because I'm holy. But there are some things that God simply does not share with his creatures, and one of those is vengeance. It's his property. It's his lane. Stay in your lane. And we have a promise here as well. God will exercise vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. He promises us that. God's justice is frequently worked out in this life to some extent. You notice the qualifiers I'm making here. Frequently, not always, but frequently God's justice is worked out in this life. And I also qualify that statement by saying it's quali- his, his justice is worked out to some extent. Because frankly, it's simply not possible in this present age for God's vengeance fully to be meted out on anyone for their wrongdoings. That will have to wait until eternity. But God's vengeance, his justice, is often worked out in this life to some extent. And it's in the day of judgment that it will finally be done. And throughout 
eternity. And so the text says, leave it to the wrath of God. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. In other words, another way of translating it, and you might have a footnote like this in your Bibles, another way of thinking about it is, give room to the wrath of God. It's almost as if to say that when we get in there and we try to take our own vengeance, we're obstructing God's justice, getting in the way. And so the scripture teaches us, leave room for wrath. Now, uh, we believe in the sovereignty of God, uh, and so... Ultimately and truthfully, there's no way we can stop God from doing anything that he wants to do. But he expresses it to us in this way to show how important it is that we leave that lane alone. Stay out of God's way. I think it reminds me of what uh, the writer of the Proverbs said. Solomon in Proverbs 24, verses 17 and 18 said, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. You see how God is saying this works sometimes in his providence. Yes, God is displeased with the wickedness of the wicked, but when we try to seek revenge for it. He's even more displeased with that. So we're commanded, you and I, to deny ourselves. And that's a, that's a broad principle of the Christian life, isn't it? We are called to live a life of self-denial. And one of the things one of the, that we are called to deny ourselves is that gratification of getting even. Now, this brings up an important question, because if you really grapple with this command, if you really grapple with this issue, you might be led to think, well, is there any avenue in this life for me to seek justice? If I've genuinely been wronged, does that mean I just have to take it? If my property's been vandalized or something? Can't I pursue any, any kind of justice? Or, you know, if I'm a store owner, you, you've seen all kinds of stuff in the news in recent months, last couple of years, of storefronts being smashed and people just wantonly taking merchandise. What if that's your store? Are there any avenues for justice for you in this life? Well, yes, there are. We find out about it. In the following chapter of Romans, it's the civil magistrate. God has ordained the civil magistrate as a vehicle and as a tool for the pursuit of justice. So we can seek justice, but we have to do it through proper channels. We can't be vigilantes. Look at it with me. It's the very next chapter. Romans 13, take a look at verse 4. The he, in verse 4, is the magistrate, the, the, the governmental powers, the civil uh, authorities. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger. There it is. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That is your avenue for pursuing justice through the proper channels. 
So God isn't forbidding civil justice, but he's forbidding personal vigilante justice. And the commentator, whom many of you know well, I'm sure, Matthew Henry, he said this about this very text. He said, it is not forbidden to the magistrate to do justice to those who are wronged by punishing the wrongdoer, nor to make and execute just and wholesome laws against malefactors. But it forbids private revenge, which flows from anger and ill will. And this is fitly forbidden, for it is presumed that we are incompetent judges in our own case. You see that? We're too close to our own case, and we're not capable of making sound judgments when it comes to justice in in our own case. Uh, uh, The Lutheran commentator Lenski said something very similar. He said, by exacting justice, we ourselves should fall from justice. Generally speaking, to balance the scales exactly is a matter too delicate for us. And then listen to what he says. What a relief to be rid of this responsibility for which we are incompetent. He used that same word that Henry did. We're incompetent to judge in our own cases. That's why we have to seek justice through the proper channels. So God is saying, don't seek revenge. That's my job. I'll take care of it. Stay out of my lane. Well, again, the flip side of revenge is forbidden is that kindness is commanded. Look again with me at verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is a 180-degree contrast to the pursuit of revenge. Show kindness. Specifically, show kindness to your enemy. Show kindness to the one who has wronged you. And that is completely opposite our carnal nature, isn't it? What a surprise that God's commands and his laws would be contrary to our carnal sinful nature. Hope that doesn't come as a shock to anybody. Some concrete examples are given. Do this to your enemy. And it literally in the Greek, it's the word enemy means the hated one. That one you hate. That one who has done wrong to you. Here's what you're to do. If he's hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Be kind. And these two specifics encompass the whole range of need. Charles Hodge said, The expressions feed him and give him drink are obviously not to be confined to their literal meaning, nor even to the discharge of common offices of humanity. They are figurative expressions for all the duties of benevolence. It is not enough, therefore, that we preserve an enemy from perishing. We must treat him with all affection and kindness. It's a tall order, isn't it? But it's no different than what Jesus taught. Is it? Love your enemies? Love your enemies in word? Bless those who curse you, he taught us. What does that mean to bless them? It means to speak well of them. It means to whatever extent you're, with a clear conscience, able to do so, say good things about that person. 
We're to love our enemy in action as well. Do good to those who hate you, Jesus taught. Pray for those who abuse you. And what's going to result from that is that you will, the text says you'll heap burning coals on his head. Well, what does that mean? It's kind of a cryptic statement. And it has been interpreted in various ways by able and sound uh, exegetes. So uh, you can look at it a number of different ways, but no matter how you interpret it, no matter where you fall, as far as the interpretation of what that passage means, know this, it is a direct quote from the Old Testament. It's a direct quote from Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. And... Whatever interpretation of heaping burning coals on someone's head we, we may arrive at, we must interpret it in the context of doing and desiring good for our enemies. So if how you interpret this ends up contrasting with that, you probably ought to go back to the drawing board. Here's what I, uh, what I think that probably means. This is after, after looking at a lot of different angles on this, the burning coals, here's where I come down on it. I think they refer to the remorse that your enemy will feel after having done you evil and you turn around and bless. In many cases, your enemy will be shamed. And that shame may even lead to peace between you. It may even lead to your enemy's repentance. As John Stott put it, the coals of fire this may heap on him are intended to heal, not to hurt, to win, not to alienate. In fact, to shame him into repentance. <clears throat> now, before we go to the final point, let me stress this once again. Verse 20 is a direct quote from the Old Testament. So, when Jesus taught that you and I should love our enemies, he wasn't giving a new commandment. He wasn't expanding God's law. What he was doing is correcting people's understanding of God's law and restoring God's law as it was originally given. He was quoting the Old Testament scriptures when he commanded that we love our enemy and that we if, give him food if he's hungry, give him something to drink if he's thirsty. So, Brothers and sisters, non-retaliation is not just a Christian ethic. It's not just a New Testament ethic. It's the ethic of the whole Bible. Well, finally, we come to verse 21 and the idea that good overcomes evil. Look at 21 again. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. What does that mean? Uh, what it literally says is don't get conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. The Greek word nikao appears in a couple of different forms here, and it means to conquer. We get the name Nicholas from that. Nikao means to conquer, and it's saying don't get conquered by evil, but conquer evil, how? With good. And Matthew Poole stresses that What's being referred to by that term evil here <clears throat> is not evil kind of in the abstract sense, but evil referring to those injuries that have been done to you 
by your enemy, those wrongs that you have suffered. That's the evil that's in view here. Don't be conquered by that. But when we return evil for evil, then we're being sucked in, you see. We're, we're being overcome. That's being conquered by evil. When we, when we respond in kind. It's like succumbing to a disease, in a way. Temptation to evil, temptation to sin, it's like a disease that attacks the Christian soul. And we have an immune system against that disease, and it's the Holy Spirit. He strengthens us so that we don't repay evil for evil. The thing is, though, when we get out of step with the Spirit, and then we retaliate, and we return evil for evil, then we have succumbed. Then we've been defeated. We could just gratify the desires of our flesh. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome or conquer evil with good. I remember being taught a, a principle, a maxim, when I was a little child. I wonder sometimes if anybody teaches children this anymore. But uh, you've probably heard it. Uh, two wrongs don't make a right. You won't find those exact words in your Bible, but it's a biblical principle, isn't it? You can't defeat any opponent. Think in terms of sports. You can't defeat someone else if you're playing for them. What if the star pitcher just started throwing balls every single pitch, wild pitches, and runner after runner, batter after batter just walked, and they were going around the bases and walking in runs one after another? Is that pitcher helping his team? No. You can't defeat any opponent by fighting for him, and you can't defeat sin by sinning. Glance back with me at what we've seen so far in Romans 12. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And then again, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. And then verse 19 in our text. Never avenge yourselves. Quote Matthew Poole one more time. This is the way... To overcome, and when he says overcome there, he's speaking in terms of, uh, of self-mastery. This is the way to overcome ourselves and our adversaries too. Ourselves in denying our lusts that egg us on to revenge, and our adversaries in winning them to relent. Do not become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you repay evil with evil, you've already been overcome by evil. You've already lost the battle. So let me just admonish you with this this principle. You don't overcome darkness by learning to survive and thrive in the darkness, do you? You overcome darkness with light. And you know what Jesus said you are? You're the light of the world. And he calls you to shine for him. And our helper, 
and our ally in overcoming evil and showing kindness even to our enemies, and the one who gives us strength to put away that inclination towards personal vengeance is the Holy Spirit himself. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, followers of Christ can show fruit of the Spirit even to their enemies. It's not something we put on display just to encourage one another. It's something we're to display to those who hate us. And part of God's saving agenda that we call gospel, or good news, is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ sent his spirit to be with us, to dwell in us, and to help us bring forth his fruit. That's the Holy Spirit's lane. That's his ministry. So keep in step with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, so that you may not gratify the desires of the flesh, and to God alone goes the glory for that. Amen? Oh, one other thing. That desire for revenge that you sometimes feel, that desire to return evil for evil, to get even, If you take that desire and you strip away all the selfish, carnal, sinful aspects of it, underneath is a sense of justice that comes from God himself. And it's in you because you're his image bearer. So again, if we can take away everything that's sinful about it, at the root, a desire for justice is a godly thing. It comes from him. And when God says, now think about this. When God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That applies to my sins against him, doesn't it? And it applies to your sins too. Your sins deserve wrath. And God promises that he'll repay He promises that he will justly avenge every single one of your transgressions and mine against his holy law. And the very thought of that should lead every single one of us to say what they said there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Brothers, what shall we do? We're undone if that's the case. If God is faithful and if he hates sin and if vengeance is his and he will repay, that shows us how desperately we need Christ. How desperately we need Jesus. And this is why his blood was shed. He took upon himself the payment. When he was there on the cross, he was suffering the vengeance that God repays. He was suffering the vengeance of God for our transgressions. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. What a savior. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us grace to stay in our lane, to not return evil for evil, even though our flesh wants to so badly sometimes. Lord, help us more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness, to be like Christ and to live as you would have us live. And we pray to you in his name that through the Spirit you'd give us strength to do that very thing. Amen.